Dear friends, welcome to the Great Day Podcast. I'm your friend and host, Mayor K. And today we have with us Folly Klein. She's one of a kind. Folly Klein is one of a kind, period. <laughs> there is no one like her. She blew my mind. I had so much fun recording this podcast because it went to places I didn't expect and surprised me with new insights and perspectives that I never really thought of. Folly is a hypnotherapist, sex counselor, breathwork practitioner, and many, many other things. We talk about a whole lot. We cover spirituality, plant medicine, breathwork, the healing journey, different modalities, and much, much more. So I truly hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoyed recording this. Enjoy. Ollie Klein, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great. I'm, uh, wow, I'm so excited, actually. I'm glad you're excited. I'm a little nervous. Okay, cool. <laughs> wow. It's funny. Last time we met, I, it was the opposite. I don't know if you were excited, but I was nervous and you were you may, I think in there are two different ways of seeing the same thing. Yeah. Okay, fair. Well, I, someone also told me that anxiety uh, is excitement without breath. Nice. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not going to jump right away into the breath work just yet. Um, because there's so many things that you are, and, and also I'm, I'm sure you don't want to be limited by just one thing. And just to give some context is up to the listeners of uh, our relationship and how we, we met is that we were by a, um, a well, actually, we briefly met at a Johan Harari talk. Hari. Hari. Oh, Hari. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making everybody Jewish in my life. You just made him Jewish. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. I think he's dating an Israeli. He did. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. He said that. Um, and big shout out to Mumulo, the woman from there, t- for arranging that event. It was amazing, really inspiring, big fan. Yeah, so I briefly heard, saw you there. I didn't have a chance to really talk to you, but the people that I was with all came back saying, yo, this woman, Folly Klein, she just like read through my life, my soul. I, she told me about a pain in my hip that meant something with my mother. Like, I was like, who is this woman? I, I remember looking over and seeing like, like seven people just like around you, like more around you than Johan. And um, long story short, I was looking to do some breath work, doing a, uh, and uh, someone can mention your name that you did it. I had a session with you, and it was unbelievable. It was really, really great. Um, I felt very seen, heard, had a beautiful release, and um, and some points that you made that you made, which was to, for me to connect to my full name, um, parent, mother, a mother, and connecting with my father. That all came up later on on a plant medicine journey that I did. And uh, also, it was, and it was like beautiful. It was so intuitive, and uh, it was just really cool to see that play out. So that was a little long winded, but I just wanted to give people, you know, some context as to who you are and how we connected. Um, yeah. So th- that being said, you're a hypnotherapist, you're a breathwork p- practitioner. Um, journey to home. Um, you run the women's division of that, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. What that is, but if you would sum up who you are, where would you begin? Well, who I am. So when people start talking about the things that I do, I tend to get, let's call it like a little bit of discomfort because I think most people can say, oh, this is what I do. I'm a, I'm a computer technician. And they've been a computer technician for 20 years and they will be a computer technician for the next 20 years. And for me, it's not like that. I never felt that I was any one thing. I, I just, to put it in very uh, kitschy terms, yeah. like cliche, I'm on a journey. You know? yeah. <laughs> I hate saying, I hate saying those A journey words. to home? 
I'm on a journey, you know. Well, I'll let you know when I get there. Yeah, I yeah. hope I never do. Yeah, okay, wow. I kind of hope I never do. So you're really comfortable in the uncertainty. Yeah, I wasn't always. I dealt with a lot of anxiety in my life when I was younger. And I come from that. A lot of my family has dealt with that. I used to actually think it was genetic until mm. I realized what it was really all about. What and, was it all about? Um, well, if you're going to be raised by anxious parents, mm. you're going to develop that as a coping mechanism or as the way of living life. Yeah. And um, anxiety was just me needing to, to control the uncertainty in my life um, without surrendering to the fact that life is uncertain and the greatest adventures in life are born out of uncertainty. Right, an adventure is never something that oh, you know what's going to happen next. An adventure is surprising, right. and I realized I am a person who loves adventure, but I was, I was afraid of adventure mm. because of the uncertainty, and then just getting to the root of that. So, I am someone who is always exploring. I like adventure, yeah, and I'm never really confined to any one thing. So, all of the things that you mentioned, the fact that I studied hypnotherapy and breath work and those whatever else I have behind me. Um, those were just as a result of me saying, hey, I want to learn more. There's something in me that I've not yet discovered, um, things that I'm struggling with, what can help me with that, and just finding things along the way mm. that lit things up inside of me. And I said, wait, I need to know more about this. And why don't more people know more about that? So I was really blessed with a lot of gifts that when I, when I find something interesting, I tend to take it all the way. Mm, yeah. And I can, I can really go there. And then it becomes part of me. But for a long time, I didn't know how to define myself. Like, what am I? And I just learned I don't define myself. I am just me. I'm not finished growing. Uh, whatever this podcast is, by the time you publish it, yeah. it'll probably be like irrelevant because I'll <laughs> probably be on to something brand new and exciting and different. And I, and I hope that that's the rest of my life. That's wild. That's, that is wild. And there's so much to unpack there. I mean, if one, 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 I get a little tight, like tight in the chest when people ask me, like, so who are you? Are you a filmmaker? Are you a motivational speaker? And it's like, and growing up, there's always like, this push for like, educators, I feel like, to like tell you, to like, sort of define who you are, who you're going to be for the next 20 years of your life. 20? Yeah. 80. Life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. For life, period. And um, I never really connected with that. And I always felt something was wrong with me. And hearing you speak about, you know, this, you know, path of a certainty of growth of evolving is like a breath of fresh air because we don't necessarily, we don't need to define ourselves in one way. And if, like you said, just trusting that gut, that intuition, following that path. I want to learn this. I'm interested. Let me go all the way with that. And then that could lead me to the next thing, to the next thing, like from like Tarzan with grapevines, one to the next. Right. But you got to sort of like let go sort of but from one to go to the other. And it gets really, it could get, get a little frightening. It doesn't trust. get easier. Doesn't get easier. It does not get easier, but I think the accumulation of it is like you've know you know that you've done that before, so you can do it again. It's still that same panic and the same fear every time you grieve letting go of one thing and embrace the next. Yeah. But I remember when I was younger, we did an exercise in high school as we were getting ready to go to college, and we were all trying to decide what we wanted to do for the rest of our life. And I was like, I don't know, and I was really anxious about it. So our teacher, this is before the days that meditation was really a word, mm. but she kind of led us through an exercise and she said, well, when you die, what would you like it to say on your gravestone? Yeah. And everybody had these really profound things. And I wrote something like, she lived. <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know, and, and every so often I do come back to that exercise and I realize that right now my current, and I say this a lot in public because when I'm dead, I can't follow up on this, but I hope you guys do. Um, I would like for it to say on my gravestone, she died breathing because <laughs> that is literally what I do. But also the secret of life is breath is just be in the moment, breathe in this moment. Why do you need to define yourself 
by any one thing. I want to be able to get out of bed every morning and say, okay, what's my adventure of today? I want to live a life that actually feels exciting to live, that feels exciting to breathe through. Mm. So I'm not going to define myself by some by one category and then let myself sleep through the, re- the next 20 years of it. Right. Wow. I mean, that's, that's insane. And I mean, we're talking about breath and we're talking about, you know, meditation and, and there'll be a mixed crowd here who are aware of these modalities and like this language. And there are people who are like, what do you mean breath? I, I breathe every day. I, I, what, what is she talking about? What, what did I even do when I came to you initially? What's, how would you just give a crash course or one-on-one just to get some context? I feel like we're going to talk about breath a little bit on this podcast. So what, when we talk about breath, what are we actually talking about here? So let's tie it back to life. Every cell in your being needs oxygen in order to thrive. If you've been to basic elementary school, seventh grade chemistry, biology, whatever, whatever it is that you learned, even as a kid, you learned that every cell in your DNA, in your structure needs oxygen. Yeah. So breath is life. And the more you are able to breathe fully and deeply, the more alive you're going to feel, the more engaged with life you're going to be. As a result of trauma or insecurity or fear or whatever it is, you most likely shut down parts of your breath, which means that you're not oxygenating properly. There are, from on a, on a physiological level, there are places in your body, like most people can't get their breath into their belly, not on the first try. Mm-hmm. They need to actually sit with it, maybe close their eyes, maybe slow down in order to get a breath into their belly. And some people can't even do that. So you've shut down places in your body. You've shut down cells in your body. For example, cancer. Cancer cells, cells thrive without oxygen. Mm-hmm. If you give oxygen to a cancer cell, it will spontaneously combust. Wow. So cancer cells come, up as about, come about as a result of not breathing properly, which is not, then, then people are like, but then why do babies get cancer? Yeah. That, that's, that's a separate yeah. conversation. And it, it, it is related. I mean, mm. their parents are probably not breathing properly and they already picked that up from their Im- environment and right. ancestry. Um, yeah. so that's on a purely physiological level. But then on an emotional level, think about the last time you felt like crying, but then didn't let yourself cry. What you did was like, right, held, and you held, held your breath, breath right? Yeah. Or when you were afraid, you watched a horror movie and you're like, and then you didn't realize you were holding your breath until that like thing happened. You're like, and you didn't realize you were doing it and you do it your entire life. Uh, so the art of breath work is helping people develop a relationship to their breath so that they can once again be in relationship to their life. And breath is not stagnant, right? Breath is always in and out and in and out. So is life. So going back to that anxiety and wanting to control mm-hmm. things, that's, that's in direct contradiction to what life and breath actually is. You can't control your breath. You can't control your life, but you can flow with it. Wow. That's okay. That's amazing. So when, on a practical sense, when you're doing a breath work session or with somebody, what, how are you guiding them? And I'm really speaking because I, I know how you guide them, but just for the listener, um, to allow them to, to feel safe and to access breath in a new way that's more conscious. So this is still something that I'm working out. And I don't have it all figured out because let's backtrack for a second. People ask me what breath work is and I say, well, it's the same thing that diet is. And everybody kind of has a relationship to the word diet. But what diet really means is the relationship you have with food. It doesn't mean restriction. It doesn't mean counting calories. It just means being conscious and aware of the relationship you have with food. Mm -hmm. And breathwork is the same. So a lot of people treat breathwork the way we treat diet. They're like restrict or inhale or exhale or do it to a certain beat or tempo. And I'm kind of like, that can be really aggressive. Not every diet is for every person. 
But the concept of diet, being mindful and aware, getting to know your body and your needs and working with that, that's really healthy. And breathwork is the same thing. So a lot of people, especially listeners who are familiar with these kind of terms, will be like, oh, I know breathwork because I went to someone and I did a session. Right. And I like to tell people, no, no, you don't. (laughs) You don't know anything about breathwork. You had one experience with Mm -hmm. one practitioner who told you to breathe one certain way, Mm -hmm. and, and that was that experience. But that's not what breathwork is. Breathwork is never losing consciousness of your breath when you can live your life and always know where you're at. It's not about breathing perfectly. People ask me all the time, can you teach me how to breathe? And I'm like, no, you're already breathing. I'm pretty sure you're doing it okay. You're not dead. Right. I'm not a perfect breather. Like I just said, I'm feeling anxious. My breath is coming short. There's Mm -hmm. a reason for that. So instead of trying to change it, I think a lot of what I do is help people become in relationship to that, Mm. realizing that the body has a language. It's speaking to you through the breath. So how do I guide people in breathwork? I, I try very hard not... A lot of breathwork schools are very are purists. They will tell you this is the way to breathe and this is the modality that you need to subscribe to. And I'm not like that. I'm kind of like, you're already breathing the way your body wants you to breathe because you're here. But what if we got curious? What if we just surrendered and closed our eyes and allowed the breath to guide us in? What would the breath teach you? Where would it take you? Mm -hmm. Where would the breath not go? And I think that's probably the safest thing you can do with someone because instead of trying to control the breath, you're surrendering to it, trusting that the breath is a higher power and it already has what to show you. And as a result of that, I find that people can go super deep. Their breath automatically changes, becomes fuller, becomes deeper, more pure. Um, yeah. It's it's quite it's it's quite amazing when you when you guide someone like that and you do like a breathwork session and you're in the in the safe space and you trust the the facilitator and it's amazing just what's inside us breath and where it could go like I did feel it going to new places in my body that I'd never felt before and then what that does and unlocks I literally I have no embarrassment to say like I literally was crying and as I've done breath three times and each one was a profound experience. And I even got to a level where I, it felt like I was psych- I was tripping. I was on a journey. I was, it was psych- I felt like I was on, on plant medicine and all I was doing was breathing. Yep. And it was so profound that I, I had incredible like visions and um, insights and downloads. And in, yeah, it felt like 10,000 hours of therapy all from a breath session from one to two hours. So, I mean, I, I personally highly recommend it and it's, um, I know you're very in high demand and we're going to put that out <laughs> on the podcast right now. It's not even a hard to get uh, type of uh, marketing right here. But uh, it was, it was in just in general, whether it's with, with you, Folly, or somebody else, I highly recommend breath work as a modality to, to inner growth. I think I, what yeah. I tell people is just Google breath work facilitator near me and try four or five different facilitators. Don't, don't get stuck on one. Yeah. Use it as a curiosity. What will this session do for you? And, and one of the reasons that I love breath is that, like you said, it gave you the experience of psychedelics, which personally, I agree that I, I agree to that. Um, breath is profound. It really does uh, activate your pineal gland where DMT is stored and mm. released. So there's a lot there that is very similar to a psychedelic experience. Mm. The beauty of it, though, is that you're not under the influence. Yeah. So you're, I don't want to say you're in control of the experience, but it's not that the control, because you're, you're not, because breath is the higher power, but you're not being controlled by an external factor and the other thing that i like very much about breathwork is that it's you it's not the facilitator 
And I think that's the mistake that people also make when they go to a specific facilitator and they're like, I only want to work with this person. Mm. And, and a, a really gifted facilitator is going to show you that it's not about me as the facilitator. It's about you and your breath. And the ideal for me is, yeah, go do a few breathwork sessions, learn a little bit about it, but then you should never need me again. You should be able to have that relationship with yourself, by yourself, and, and empower yourself. To access that level without, yeah. really, without a facilitator? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And wow. of course, like even the facilitator needs a facilitator. Yeah. Every so often, I'll reach out to a colleague and be like, there's a place I can't go, and I just need you to push me past that place of resistance. But ideally, yes, it's mm. your breath. I mean, then again, you have those people who are on diets, right? And what's, what's healthier? Making a lifestyle change that you can actually commit to or constantly needing someone to check in with for the rest of your life, right. uh, treating your diet like an addiction. And then, but then you'll never stand on your own feet. And that's not real. That's not healthy. That's not where you want to be going. Yeah. So people treat breath work the same way. Do you want to be tied to a facilitator the rest of your life? Or do you actually want to own this and empower yourself to have this as a way of life? Yeah, I love that. That's so, that's, that's, that's so true and it's so amazing. And I, I sometimes feel like, and I'm right now going through a journey myself where I'm letting go of like needing for someone to tell me I'm okay or to give me the answer. And I'm just, it's being drilled in from so many different, because I'm, because I'm asking the question, um, you know, the, the answers are coming back to me where it's, it's all within me. Right. And, and that was a big thing with breath. Like, oh, breath is within me and it guided me to my own higher consciousness to like heal things I've been working on for so long. Um, and so I'm catching myself sometimes not asking the question, which, I know the answer to, but just want to hear the confirmation from somebody else. So yeah, I, I love that to be able to go out on your own two feet and imply it. I'm sitting in front of a woman, uh, across a woman whose hair is covered, <laughs> whereas is wearing three different layers of, of, of sweater in this hot summer day. Only because I'm sensory. <laughs> okay. Okay. Great. And I know that's a superpower of yours, but like you're a firm Orthodox woman living in a very Orthodox neighborhood, living that lifestyle, believes in that lifestyle, truly and yet you're, you speak, quote unquote, new age, which I know is old age, very deep wisdom, but like very new age, quote unquote, you're tapped into what's going on in the culture with, with the modalities of healing and just in life, the way you carry yourself, you're very, you're very grounded and real. And, uh, and uh, it's very unique and special. And again, you're living, not just like, okay, you pop into the Jewish neighborhoods or the Orthodox neighborhoods and you like do your thing and then go back to where, you know, upstate New York on a farm. But you know, you live there. It's like part of your life. How, how did that happen? Like how, how, I'm curious to know the journey, how that happened. How, and, but maybe the first question would be is like right now, how do you make sense of that all? Like where, how, yeah, how do you, How? <laughs> wow you're asking me to take just, like to coalesce my entire life experience i know it's so every podcast. journey right it's right every journey one thing led to the next of course it, and but it's, it's pretty amazing i'm curious to know like how that is and um and then how you're able to break through the orthodox community to trust you to try things that they they've been told that is literally not good i think that there are probably a few answers that come to mind i'll give you two of them the first is that already as a very young child, I was, I was made to be an outsider, not because of bullying or anything like that, but at 16, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I was already taken out of my, let's call it Bisiakov environment, and I, I grew up in a hospital. Mm-hmm. So if you're already living a very different life than your friends are, your peers are going to school every day and they're subscribed to the system and just spitting back their, their notes and tests. And I was fighting for my life. Wow. And then at 16, if you're going to fight for your life, 
you really have to ask yourself, what is this life that I'm fighting for? And I'm not going to just come back and declare myself in remission and just go back to something that wasn't working for me. So that was number one. Wow. And number two. Those are profound questions to ask yourself at 16. Well, yeah. yeah. You know, if you're not going to, you, your friends are, your friends are talking about going into adulthood. They're talking about their college applications and you're like, I don't know if I should apply for college or if I'm going to ever be 17. You know, those are, those are heavy things to, to wrestle with at that age. Wow. And the second thing that I really, I think, um, made a profound impact on me was, and I I say this with, I mean, of course there's pain there, but I'm going to try to say this as openly as possible without any judgment. My daughter, when we needed to put her into a school, she was rejected in nursery from seven schools. Because of what you do? No, just because. This was before I did any of this. We were just a nice mainstream Haredi family and seven schools all told us no for for whatever reason. And every school has their own. Like for many of them, it was a lack of space or um, just just minor details. I mean, the system is is overburdened, right? They have 30 slots and they have 300 applicants. So it's a game of numbers, but they didn't do the game very nicely. And I felt very violated by that. And I remember just taking that year so hard and my husband turning to me at one point and said, listen, if you want to send our kids to public school, I'm good with that. And I said, are, are you serious? And he says, yeah, I don't think that Judaism has anything to do with the schools. I think that's something that we build in the home. And if, if it's the right thing to send our kids to public school, let's do that. And I argued with him and I said, no, I don't want that. I want to, to send my kids to a Jewish school. He says, but why? And, he, and I said, because we're Jewish. And, because, and he said, but you're not answering the question. It's like, that documentary, right? What is a woman? Can you answer that question without saying the word woman? Mm. He says, don't tell me that you want to send to a Jewish school by answering the question with the word Jewish. What does that mean to you? And I realized I didn't know. And I had to figure that out for myself because if I felt so strongly that that's who I wanted to be and that was a real part of me and he wasn't scared. My husband's a rabbi and he was like, we can send the kids to public school. And I said, how do you have the confidence to say that? He said, because I know who my Judaism is and I know who my God is and I know my relationship with God and Judaism and sending to public school does not change that. Do you know your relationship with God and Judaism? And I thought I did, but I didn't. Mm. And that was my journey. And when I realized what that was for me, what my relationship to God, to religion is, and I'm so passionate about it. Like I'm almost embarrassed to talk about it in public sometimes. I feel like, <laughs> like I am embarrassingly in love with the divine. Wow. Like I think it's almost inappropriate to talk about it out loud on a podcast. <laughs> like What does it even mean? I, as you say it, it seems like you're tearing up. I, I don't feel know. like God is my boyfriend and we shouldn't be talking about my intimate relationship <laughs> with God on a podcast. I feel like I'm talking about my bedroom life <laughs> like, with God. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. It's so tangible. It's so, that's, Unbelievable! What? So I think the question, though, that you have yeah. bringing it back to I how like I do twenty this, other questions, yeah, is that for me it's very real, and you can't take me away from that because I know what I've done, and and also my relationship with Judaism, Hasidus, religion itself, because Judaism is separate from religion. You know, yes. Judaism is a, is an ideology; it's our na- nationality. But then the religious aspects, the reasons why we do everything, there's it's deeper than that, and I have such a profound interest and attachment to it. We weren't taught those things in school. Right. And if I was up to me, I would walk into the school systems, overturn them, start all over again, um, because what I know now and how it lights me up, no one taught us these things in school. So when I walk into the, it, when you're, when you're uh, trying to compare me and the community I live in, I just feel like 
The community has not seen yet what I see. And when they judge me, they don't know what they're judging. They really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and why stay there if that's the case, if you feel like you're being judged and it's, is it like one of those so, like work change it from the inside out? No, I'm not that passionate. I don't care <laughs> that's as much <laughs> as you would think. I'm not, I'm not a man on a mission. Uh-huh. You know, I'm, right. I'm actually much more shy than people give me credit for. I do very well, extroverted, but really I'm very private and I, I kind of need my space a lot. I have no, no um, Messiah complex about changing the world. But as many times as my husband and I have spoken about making Aliyah or moving to a more open community, it's like the door hasn't been open and we just realize that we're needed here right now. And I, and I don't pretend to know what that means. Mm-hmm. I just know that if I walk on the street and someone sees me and makes a comment, whether that comment is positive or negative, that needed to happen. Or even we started here, what was it, a half hour late? Yeah. And you were feeling all apologetic about the time. And yeah. I'm like, but that needed to happen. Yeah, I don't, you were so chill. I don't need to understand why. I just need to know that this moment is the moment. Wow. And if I'm here right now, whether it's where I live or where I operate or who sees me, who points at me, that needs to happen. And I'm okay with that. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's insane. That's like real presence and like being okay with what's, yeah, real, true acceptance. And that was, that's been a journey from when you were 16 with cancer. Was that already then or later on in life did it really, I guess one thing leads to the next? Well, I don't, you know, I think a journey, the nature of journeys is that we trip up all the time. And that's a comment that I get from people a lot. Like, I did so much good work. Why am I still getting triggered? Yeah. Because the journey isn't linear. It's a spiral. So I would, I would want to say that I'm actually working through this in many iterations of the same thing. So I, I've done it at 16. I did it at 10. I did it at 20. And, and I'm going to probably keep doing different versions of this same thing, um, accounting for presence in my life, no matter where I am. So it's not like I've mastered it. I've gotten through this particular aspect of it, but... There's probably more coming. So even if you have no profound reason today why we started a half an hour late and your whole day now is pushed oh, off. it will come. It will come? It will come. It will come. I, I, was, will, I will find it and I will You'll see you. it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, deal. But, okay, that answers my question. Um, you're saying, I was going to say, what happens if you didn't even see it, will you still trust it? I always see it. You always see it. And you because do. Because I trust it so completely, right. I don't question it. It always shows. You see the signposts of life, right? Always. You, right, you see it. Yeah. And that is that, and, and that's something that who someone's listening is like, oh, she was born with this, so she's more sensitive. You're sensory. Ask my siblings, right? They're like, no. Is there a way for someone who does? Like, is that something you could work on? Is that a skill set? Yeah, I was actually on the way here. I was talking to somebody, and I felt we were talking about a, a situation that was really difficult, and I felt my rage coming up, and mm. I said, I need a moment to take my rage and spread it really thin, and. The person I was talking to says, what does that mean? And I said, well, I had issues with rage when I was younger. Ask any of my siblings. We would beat each other up, like physically. Yeah. Uh, I took kickboxing for a couple of years. Oh, I man. have all of that in me, you know. <laughs> but then one of my siblings, and we spent the weekend together, said, that's so crazy. You know, you never yell at your kids. You never raise your voice. And that's something that, no, I'm not born with this. But it's being willing to really look at your shadows. And I have lots of them. I am not a perfect person. I'm not even a good person. I have a lot of evil inside of me. Mm. I relish that a little bit. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to get a reaction. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, I mean, for the, I don't know the, the, the spectrum of your, your, of your listeners, but in, in Judaism, we have this concept of gematria, right? Yeah, sure. Where, where letters uh, equate yeah. right, to certain numbers and there's comparisons we can make. So the, the, the numerical equivalent of the word Yisrael, and we are Klal Yisrael, um, don't ask me to do the math in my head. I will not be able to do that right I'm now. I'm not going to ask you. Is the same as the words or and Choshech, light and darkness added together. 
Mm. One of the beauties of who we are as a nation is that we're not afraid of our darkness. We embrace all of it. And I think a lot of this work is acknowledging I'm not a perfect person. I have a lot of darkness in me. I have my rage and my insecurities and my imperfections. And no, I wasn't born like this. Wow. Wow. So, bro, I mean, we're, I'm, we're listening to somebody who's done a lot of like, a lot of inner work and, and looked at, you said, looked at the darker sides and, and transforming that into, uh, into, into light and, and being so human and grounded. That's so, that's really unbelievable. I'm like just processing that all. That's, wow. That's, I mean, I, I want to go back quickly to just like, you, you have like this incredible, clear, faith and Muna, you look at even the religion like i'm i grew up religious i'm not so religious today i'm on my own journey i'm very spiritual i'm starting to i actually feel like it takes a really religious person to be able to say i'm not religious because most religious people that i've encountered and i don't want to make a blanket statement but a lot of religious people have never actually contemplated their relationship to religion it's like i think you overheard me saying this a little earlier when we were waiting for the for our session to begin is that in order to really commit to a marriage, you have to fully contemplate divorce. If you don't know who you are outside of the relationship, you can't commit to the relationship. And I think the true test of spirituality and religion is being able to say, am I willing to send my kid to public school? Can I do that? What would my life, what would my Judaism look like if I'm married to a rabbi and sent my daughter to public school? So going back to you, I think that that's actually a really good sign. Yeah, and and I just it came to a place where like it just the, the pain or the discomfort of the of the or the fakeness of just living a life just because to be comfortable in community, friends, groups, safety, whatever, just was it, it, the 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 question. I had to just the pain of not of not doing that and to go on the journey. I had to do it. So, and what's been beautiful over the past couple of years is that um, my growth and connection with with God higher power has been unbelievable it's so much more tangible i speak i talk daily to to god um i'm and I, now i'm only starting to realize the power of the rituals the religion i'm starting to recognize that kosher the spirituality the the energy in that like shabbos and not just because oh you take a break from your phone like understanding what that means sitting with you know ritual without that without the energy right yeah it's just superstition yeah, woo, I like that. That's really great. Yeah, it's right, superstition. Then it turns into like a, a punishing God. If I don't do this and I get, you know, he'll do that or, you know, living in fear. So living, moving from fear to love is the biggest one. And that's between man to man, my relationships, between relationships and to my, my and with God. Um, and so I'm not, I don't think I'm on that journey. And so hearing you is a lot of hope to realize that there is, there is that beautiful energy and, and presence in the religion as well. Um, and I still have some ways to get there to appreciate that, Me but, too. Um, yeah, <laughs> fair, but, um, but, um, but it's exciting to like be reintroduced to old teachings that I grew up with that, like you said, also that I didn't connect with it more than taught in a certain way. And even practice now that it was just because we did it. Um, it was just habit instead of like, why am I actually doing this? So for an old generation, our parents, my parents as well, a lot of anxiety, a lot of anxiety. And that <clears throat> was very freeing to realize that as an adult and being in circumstances where I saw that taking place. And I'm like, oh, wow, like, my parents are so human and just reacting this way. And that's because of the grandp- my grandparents and I love them, everybody. This is all good. It's all <clears throat> out of a place of respect and love. But it just gave me a lot more knowledge to see, oh, this is why I have that within me. From again, I think you introduced the idea to me of generational trauma when a baby's in a mother's stomach. 
they at five months they already have their eggs. If it's a, if it's a female fetus, it's a female, yes. yeah. So there are three generations right there in the pregnancy. You have the mom who's pregnant, the fetus, and the fetus's eggs. Wild. All together. So whatever the mom and the mom's going through, like that baby before it's even born is already having taking the grandchild on grandchild before it's grand. even yeah. Before it's even conceived. Before even conceived. Yeah. Oh wow. Insane. So if you, one thinks about that and because it's opened their mind a bit about what like generational trauma looks like or and challenge Holocaust, you know, pogroms, like that stuff is, is carried on. And it may sound like wooey wooey stuff. Well, it's in, it's, it's in Tanakh. I mean, you, you asked me about how I reconcile the religious aspects. Yeah. I really do find that all of these things, like you said, new age are not new age. We've been talking about this for thousands of years um, in Sefer Vayikra, I believe. Uh, think so um we can edit this yeah i'm like i have to think of it like i'm scanning i'm, I'm like I'm, i have a, a like a good memory and i'm just like watching i'm reading books in my head i'm like you know it doesn't matter yeah it, doesn't. it says that god will curse us for four generations and that always felt very extreme to me until i understood that what we just spoke about a mom dealing with trauma in her pregnancy and she's affecting her fetus and her unconceived grandchild that's three generations right there and it is usually the fourth generation that wakes up and goes to therapy and says i'm going to break the curse we are right now in a world that is four generations post-Holocaust. We are the first generation going to therapy. We're the first generation saying, let's wake up. Yeah. So it's, it's really a law of wow. nature. It's not God saying, I will curse you. He's literally saying, this is the way it works. Anything that you go through, it's going to affect you for three generations. So be really, really careful. Because even when God says, I will curse you, it's in relationship. He's saying, be careful what you do, because otherwise you will incur the curse of and this is the curse. It's not this vindictive, angry God who is like, I made a decision to curse you. Uh-huh. He's saying it is a law of nature. If you go against nature. If you do X, Y, and Z, yeah. this will happen. This will happen and it will affect three generations of you. It mm-hmm. will take until the fourth generation to say, I can free myself from this. Right. Right. That's powerful. Though I don't, I don't want to question and I don't think you have the answer. It's like, I don't, it's hard to say that in, in the Holocaust terms. Like we didn't bring on the Holocaust. No. Right. And there is something very different between um, collective trauma, mm-hmm. and that there is a worldview on that. There is something greater, a greater consciousness at play. And I think sure. that as a nation, we know we've taken on this, like, we say it so many times, almost blindly. We're like, we're a light unto the nations. What does that really mean? Have you ever really considered what that means? And I think that's a whole separate conversation, the collective consciousness versus like the ancestral or individual consciousness. It's, it's a whole different podcast and, and conversation. Sure. Um, can't wait for part two. Uh, oh, there is a part two. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm manifesting it right You're now. Manifesting I it. am 100% <laughs> manifesting this. This is, we have so much to talk about and, and I'm sure there's somebody listening to this podcast right now. Like, Oh, ask for this. Ask for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah ask them, you know, let's go there. Let's go down that one. Uh, patience. Subscribe to the podcast. Um, so, um, so Folly, so talking about where would be, you know, the unraveling, someone who's so embedded within the community or within, not just the community, but within their way of being, and there's so much fear, and maybe perhaps you answer that everybody's meant to go on the journey, right? Some people are just not as sensitive, and they're in their life, and things are going, and to start asking these questions, they have kids, they got bills, you know, it's why? It's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. It's not for everyone, right. Like I said before, I'm not a man on a mission. I'm not busy here waving the flag like everybody needs to join me it's not like that i think that there are two kinds of leaders there's the guru who stands on stage and says this is me this is it come and come and follow my way and then there's the pied piper who is just playing his flute he's completely oblivious and without even realizing it he has a trail of people following him and they'll go with him they'll drown themselves in the river for him and he doesn't even know 
And it's because they see what he has and they say, hey, that's something I want. And so I've never wanted to be a guru. I don't really go around preaching the gospel. It's, that's not what it's about. Right. For me, it's, I do this because this is my life. This is my relationship with God. This is my relationship to my pain and the stuff that I need to get through for myself. And if other people are inspired by that or they feel pulled or drawn or they, they have questions about that, well, well, then it's my pleasure. But if nobody ever looks at me or talks to me again, that would not change anything about the way I live my life or, or go about my journey. Wow. You're saying your own pain still, and you have, you know, decades. You're, you have your 10,000 hours in, in, in pain slash also recovery or in the sense of recovery of growth. Does, so it doesn't, it never really ends, huh? It just evolves. No. It's like there's these rooted, like, what, I don't know if you're able to go there. Like, what's a rooted, like, pain that you've been at it, yet it keeps popping up? And what hope do you have? If you know it's always zero, it's just an acceptance. Like pain is just part of this, right, of life. So you know what? To to answer it, let's say in a let's let's talk. Let's do it in a less vulnerable way sure. first, right? Okay. Yeah, totally. So from a purely physiological perspective, right? I told you that I was diagnosed with cancer at sixteen. Yeah, that never goes away. So you can be declared in remission, but you will forever be a cancer survivor which means that anything that ever happens, that's the first thing you walk into a doctor, you walk into an urgent care to take a strep culture, and that's the first thing you tell them, I'm a cancer survivor. And you're going to shape your whole life around that. And it can either be the worst thing that ever happened to you, like, oh my God, I had cancer. Or it can be like, it's just what shaped me. It's just one thing that I went through. It built me. It's a part of my history, but it's not my future. I have to take it with me because I would be lying to myself to my doctors, I would be doing myself a disservice if I pretended that that wasn't a real thing for me, that I still don't have very visible scars on my body, that I don't deal with real side effects that will be with me forever. Yeah. You, have to, you have to be able to embrace that. And I think people think that recovery is the trauma goes away or the triggers go away. No, they don't. No, they don't. You will forever be traumatized and triggered by these things. And what they say is your feelings are valid, but your behavior is not. So my feelings will always be valid. I will always have feelings about the things I went through. I will continuously be triggered by things. Yeah. But my behavior, my my walking through life, that's something that I do have the capacity to own and grow from and change. Control, right. And that's that's in your right. That's right. That's in that's in your power. And that's I think people think though that healing is erasing, that they'll never feel again. And like you're gonna feel. You're gonna feel right. lots of things. I like what like Robert Chase Top says, like you actually feel better. You actually feel your feelings better. Yeah, better. And exactly. Yeah, it feel you'll feel better. And um and sometimes right. I know from for myself, um, that, that could be a scary thing to feel feelings. We don't want to feel that. But um it's so liberating to go through that from this experience to be able to walk that path. Again, if it's called to you, right? If you and right. and like you said, I like the idea of like you don't have to go necessarily go we'll preach it. If it's someone's listening to this podcast now, there's is you can reach out to me. Um, I'm not going to speak for Fafali. <laughs> yeah. Please don't reach out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I will not answer you. There you go. You can reach out to me. And, and of course, the internet is so filled with, with ways and, and um, more knowledge of how to go about that. Um, it's also what I did. You know, when people reach out to me because they want me to facilitate them, yeah. I'm like, but what I did was I put in a Google search mm-hmm. and I was like, breathwork facilitator. Boom. So I tell people, start the way I did. Don't assume that I have the answers just because you heard me speak on a podcast. I'm still looking for answers. And I do that by Google searching. Google is totally my oracle. Wow! Yeah, amazing. Yeah, there's so much good stuff. I just cross, you know, cross reference it, of course. But Folly, talking about healing and breath, we and I, I talked a little bit about it. Where do you stand on psychedelics, on plant medicine? Um, is that a 
a modality that that you believe in and is powerful and and so kosher? let's talk about amoxicillin. Where do I stand on that? I'm a big believer in amoxicillin. It saves lives. But you don't take amoxicillin if you don't need it. And you don't take it irresponsibly and you don't take it without a doctor. So I'm a big fan of psychedelics. I think God uh, doesn't create things for no reason. And, you know, psychedelics, like you say, is plant medicine. So there are chemical psychedelics. Right. But let's, let's move it down to how God created the world. And there are psychedelics that are God-given, natural. Lots of things are God-given and natural. So are poisons. You know, and you have to be very, very aware and also self-aware, aware of what that is and aware of who I am before I engage in relationship to that. So I believe that psychedelics have a tremendous capacity to help people heal, see things that they couldn't see before, really hold a mirror up to your soul, break past barriers. However, I think they need to be done with a lot of safety. So I've had people go to uh, plant medicine experiences and then gotten re-traumatized because they opened up trauma that they weren't ready for, or there was no one there to hold them through that. And we spoke about that, yeah. that there's a lack of integration sure. lately with people just running to these things. Yeah. And then the second thing that I think about psychedelics, well, th- then, there, then there's also, and this is really important, everyone's chemical structure of their brain is different. And don't assume, and there are a lot of people who will tell you that it's just safe for everyone to do. It's not. Just because amoxicillin saves lives. I mean, I have a son who's allergic to penicillin. Amoxicillin will kill him. So don't assume that just because plant medicine is the rage that it's going to be the right thing for you. Make sure you do a tremendous amount of research and make sure that you're not just like diving into a ceremony with 40 people. Make sure you talk to the leader of the ceremony. Right. What are your follow-up uh, you know, options? And um, the second thing that really I don't see a lot of conversation about is Midos. Mm, what like, do you mean by that? Like your own working on yourself as a person. I see a lot of spiritual bypass with psychedelics. A lot, and, and this is, I am talking as someone who has done a lot of psychedelics. And I found that just having these amazing trips with God yeah. and seeing these beautiful visions, which you will see, and you'll get a lot of clarity. You can still be a really uh, yeah. difficult person in your personal <laughs> lives. Yeah. And, and I see that a lot. I, and I'm not meaning to throw shade, but one of the things I tell people when, when you're getting ready to work with a facilitator, whether it's a therapist, a coach, or someone who administers psychedelics, what does their personal life look like? Are they in relationship? Are they in contact with their kids? Mm. Like, who are they as parents, as lovers, as friends? Mm. That's going to tell you a lot about, should they be giving you that kind of medicine? Mm. Um, what, who you are as a person comes way before you can really engage with something like that. And, and barring, because barring, there is always exceptions to the rules, Psychedelics have been proven to really work very effectively with things like depression, PTSD. But I don't think you're asking me about that because people who have severe depression and PTSD are, are using psychedelics in a controlled environment with a therapist. Right. So I don't think you're asking me about that. I think you're asking me about the broader perspective. The broader perspective, not just, right, not those specific, um, not those specific cases, but rather I think capital T or lowercase t trauma. Yeah. You know, people who are maybe sexually abused who didn't know that, who know there's something off in their life. They're just sad. They don't have that, you know, that vitality towards life. Who want to uncover something. They feel blocked. Their heart's closed. That kind of stuff. So like I said, it works. I'm a fan. I believe in it. But it has to be done correctly. And it's not a substitute for good therapy. It's not a substitute for actually working on your own interpersonal skills. Those are two separate things that have to be done uh, in conjunction with each other. 
Yeah, that's that's one hundred percent true. And and here you are saying on the podcast, and you're, I mean, you're, I mean, I, I've, I'm congratulating myself because I, I realized this growth I've had. Like I would never have talked about this a year ago on a podcast. God forbid people knew that I took plant medicine. Um, but by gosh, I am more, you know, stepping to my own self and accepting who I am, and and also want to share what has been helpful for me in a um, in a, in the ways that you just mentioned. It was safe, kosher, with you know. And, and also the integration part. There, there is this path, like we talked about earlier, where it could be left as a, an amazing awareness, spiritual experience that I could like say around the Shabbos table or tell a friend, like, yeah, I just did ayahuasca. And, and been cool. And there's also all that homework I got in the journey, which now I have the option to go ahead and integrate in my life. And that will, that's where the real change will happen. So you could take the, take the medicine. And then also, you could take the medicine and also just let it be an experience, just a story, and do it again six months or three months later, or take you know take the time to go ahead and integrate it. So that's another key, what you just said. Do it again in six months or three months later. What I'm seeing also is this very disturbing trend of people doing it three days later or even three weeks later. Mm. Um, it does take a lot of time to integrate these things, a minimum of three to six months to integrate one ceremony. Yeah. And people are like, let's just hit me up again. I had this amazing experience. Let's just sit in a circle. And they're doing, you know, three, four or five sessions in just, just as many weeks. Right. And to me, that's just like, wait, no, no, no. Therapy is something that you come and talk to your therapist or coach once a week. But plant medicine, it really takes time to integrate that. And if you're hopping already to your next session, then you're not, something's off. There's mm-hmm. something you're not wanting to see or sit with. Right. There's a sort of chase there. Certain, yeah. I. Right, or sit with. That's that's a really great way of putting it. Wow, that's 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 amazing. So there's definitely that happening. Is that you know it's sort of pivoting to what you do at Journey at Home? Is that something you guys offer there? What is Journey at Home for those who are curious? Wow, so that's the thing we never talk about. No, uh-huh. I'm kidding. <laughs> we like to keep it a mystery for people. Uh-huh. We don't advertise it. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of like like this is not advertising it. We're just no, talking we're about just it. Talking about yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. So Journey to Home is an organization that I work with. I run their women's division. We run a three-day intensive, an in-person intensive. Over the weekend? Um, It depends. It depends. Mine tend to be during the week um, just because it's easier for women to get away, you know, when the kids are in school and they have their structure. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's variable. It it doesn't have to be over Shabbos. The men's tend to, yes, be over Shabbos. The women's are not. And what we do, we help you step out of your story. We show you that you are not what you went through. You are who you are as a result of what you went through. But it's not a place to come and talk about your trauma. It's not a place to come and talk about your story. It's a place to really own and reclaim who you are. You know, when I was finished with chemotherapy, the word that they use is remission. And if you break down, because I'm, I'm a word person, so if yeah. you break down the word remission, what it really means is remission to Basically, talk to all of the cells in your body and bring them back to a sense of mission. The problem when someone has cancer is that the cells in the body forgot the mission. Mm. The mission is to bring the person into ideal health. Every cell in the body must be as healthy as possible so that you can live your most vibrant life. Remission is when cells have forgotten that. They've aligned with cancer, which has destroyed your life force. And remission is remembering that. And I think that's a very big part of what we do at Journey to Home. Yeah. It's a remissioning. 
you are not your story. Your story is the cancer and you've let that take you over for a long time. Yeah. What would it mean to remission yourself and how would you live life if that were possible? And it's not fun. There's a lot of uh, workshops or retreats out there that it's all about love and light. Yeah. We are not love and light. Love and light tends to be a spiritual bypass for people who are afraid to look at the dark. But you don't heal cancer with affirmations. It's a nice part of like keeping yourself positive and that great mindset. But cancer stinks. It takes chemo and chemo is poison. And I lost my hair and I was vomiting for a year. And it took years of recovery to just recover from mm. the treatment yeah. that got rid of the cancer in my body. So these workshops are really, really hard work of people saying this is dark. And I have darkness in me too. But I can live with that and I can be all that and I can bring all of that into my life in that sense of remission. Wow. Yeah. So that, I mean, that, it's powerful, deep, deep, beautiful healing work. Um, where would someone, like, who's your potential, like, who's your, cl- like, I'll say client, or who's the <laughs> participant that's like the, the ideal participant who's like perhaps listening now? Like, who's that? Yeah. Talk to that so, person. Hmm. Well, I work with the women. So let's, let's keep it with that. Yeah. We are a Jewish organization. So while you don't have to be religious, I don't apologize for being me and having my love affair with Judaism and God. That, that really defines who I am, and I, and I don't apologize for bringing that forth into my work. So we don't make claims that you have to be Jewish, but that is something that comes across in the work. I don't work with women under the age of 25 just because the prefrontal cortex is not fully developed which means that while, and there are exceptions to every rule, right? And I know where I was at 22 and 23, but I also went through a lot of trauma to get there. And uh, the work that we do requires that you're able to take a step back and really have a good, uh, rich self-perception to not be afraid to see yourself in all of you, your shadows, your darkness. So under the age of 25, because the prefrontal cortex is not fully developed, there is actually like a neurological uh, blockage there. So it's not a personal thing. It's just I want women who come here to get the most out of their experience. Barring that, I mean, age is not a factor. Uh, background is not a factor. Trauma isn't a factor. Well, of course, we don't want women coming saying, I don't believe in therapy, but I'm going to come to you. And it's just like, mm, no, we're not a substitute for therapy. We work in conjunction with a lot of therapists. I, I love that when women are saying, I'm doing therapy and there's a block I'm not getting past. Can you help me see a new perspective? And then they, they're able to take that back to therapy. We do have an application process, um, which tells us if someone's really ready and it's very hard for me to know. Like, you'd be surprised at the variance between applications. Some applications just seem so dead, and you're like, really? You accepted them? And then some are really, really, really rich, and they're just not a fit for our program. I think what we're really looking for is a level of accountability. Mm-hmm. Really being able to say, I'm willing to face whatever comes. I'm not afraid of this, and I understand that to get to the light, you have to go through the dark. Mm. And I think that's really the prerequisite. Yeah. What are some like, is there a, a success story, quote unquote, that you could share as an example? Hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just scanning to see like, what could I say? Yeah, and, of course. Yeah. yeah. There's so much privacy there, of course. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can even share. Um, well, I will tell you comments that we get a lot on the workshop. People will say, I've been in therapy for 10 years. And I could be in therapy for 10 more years and this would never have come up. I think that one of the things we're very skilled at doing on the workshop is bringing things to the surface that you may have missed, that you would never have thought to bring up. Um, I had one woman who was dealing with infertility for a very long time. 
And one of the things that came up in her, in her process was that when she was a child, she watched adults behaving badly. And she did not realize that, that already as a child, she internalized a belief. Adults are bad to children. And that's what happened when she got married and wanted to start a family. Her body wouldn't let her do it because her body says, you're an adult and adults behave badly to children. And I'm not going to allow you to bring children into the world just so that you can behave badly towards them. And it was a false belief. Sure. But she was doing fertility treatments and years of therapy and that never came up. And now she just had her fourth kid in about five years. Holy moly. Mm -hmm. Wow. Completely naturally. Naturally. And that was after about eight years of struggling. And, and it came around that time when she broke that learning belief? Yeah. Wow. Not about that time. Exactly that time. Yeah. Exactly. She came out with that belief. She understood it. And then she got clear directives as a result of what she needed to do to break free. Mm-hmm. And as she, you know, she had her homework cut out for her. Yeah. And as she did those steps, it resolved itself. And, and that is by far not the only story or not even the most magnificent story sure wow come on we don't make promises ladies line up right everybody has their own journey (laughs) that's a wild and i'll yeah that's of course everybody has their own journey and and i'm also shouting out to the guys because i also know that there is a journey at home uh, for men yeah they're they're older than we are they're more established than we are they're they're around for about five years longer than i am i came on late in the game Okay, yeah, well, you know, you came right on time. You came yeah. right on time. <laughs> right on time. <laughs> right. Wow, that's really cool. I mean, personally, I have to look into that myself. That's, that's, really, that's really wild. That's fascinating. Um, I want to also jump, there's a few more items I want to just like talk about, just touch in and part two, we'll, 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 you know, we'll delve into more. But I know there's also the, um, you're also a hypnotherapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was curious to know, you know, are you there with like, you know, a clock in pendulum, your head, pendulum, yeah. and you're going sleepy or... Well, anybody who's listening to the podcast already knows that I did hypnotize you at the beginning. I just made you forget. <laughs> there you go. Don't say the magical monkey. <laughs> that's, that's what it that's is. That's it. Snap out. That's wild. What, what, so what, what's going on with hypnotherapy? What's the limitations um, around hypnotherapy? And where could it actually go ahead and, and make some change? I don't really know that there are limitations with hypnotherapy. You are being hypnotized all the time. You just don't even realize it. All of the marketing. Yeah, marketing. I worked in advertising and marketing for about six years before I got into hypnosis. Right, you're a copywriter too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and all of copywriting is manipulation. Mm. And we are essentially hypnotizing you. I mean, if you're going to go into a pharmacy and there are 30 brands of toothpaste, what causes you to buy? Yeah, why? 100%. Why? And for me, it's never been Colgate. It's always been, always been Crest. You're a Crest. I'm a Crest That's person. it. Well, this, is yeah. where this, this is where this ends. All right. Um, Colgate, that's how I grew up with, Colgate. Um, Colgate, the smile, the sparkle they the do. The smile, the sparkle. That's yeah, it. Yeah, See, yeah, they yeah. hypnotized you. Yeah. They made you believe that as a result of using Colgate, you're going to have that smile and that sparkle. And sparking. Exhibit A, my... Exi- well, hello. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, a Crest yeah, person. Yeah, I see it. I there see it. I see it. I see it. Right? Wow. Right. So it all comes down to like that sub- subliminal messaging. Subliminal messaging. And yeah. you are being inundated with subliminal messaging all all the time. So hypnosis is, instead of making it subliminal, why don't we use that to our advantage? The brain is very susceptible to those messages. And I think people are very afraid of hypnosis because what they don't understand is that all of the issues that you're dealing with is subliminal messaging that you've been letting in and carrying with you your entire life without being aware of that. Yeah. So the hypno and, and to be fair, there's more than one kind of hypnosis out there. There are some people that hypnotize you. They just read at you or talk at you. And there's a fear of there because they're reprogramming my brain. What do you mean? But what do you mean by that? They're, re, they're talking at you. Which like, means like you're going to come to me and say, I have a fear of dentists. Yeah. And I'll just be like, 
you are super calm, you are relaxed, you are in the dentist chair, you feel like you are on a beach. And that's nice. It's going to work for you. But that's not the kind of hypnosis that I do. Okay. The kind of hypnosis that I do is I engage that part of your mind that has been taking in all of those messaging. And I find out what is the messaging that your mind has taken in. Like, why are you afraid of the dentist? When did that begin for you? Um, And it may not be what you think. And if we can find it, maybe that thing happened when you were three years old and it may not even have been at the dentist. Could have been that you heard someone talking about the dentist and that little message got into your mind and it spiraled. So now you're, you know, you're an adult and you can't take care of that toothache because of that subliminal message. So where's the hypno part of that? It sounds like the therapy part of it. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, you were three years old, go that way. So where's that hypno part? So the hypno part is where we relax your conscious mind. And that's also another misconception that people have. They they think that hypnosis is, you're going to put me to sleep and I'm not going to remember any of that. And I'm like, that's terrible. First off, you assume I'm that powerful. I'm not. But why would you consent to that? Why would I consent to that? Like, I'm a control freak, remember? I wouldn't let you have access to my mind like that. Right. Hypnosis is a dual state of consciousness, which you have all of the time. You're just not aware of it. Right? You ever had um, a song stuck in your head? Yeah. For like a month? Yeah. Right. So that's, your, that's, that's that part of your brain that we access with hypnosis. It's always there. How are you able to drive, do lunch, run a podcast, and you have a song stuck in the back of your head at the same time? Yeah. Because you really do have different parts of your brain active at the same time. So in hypnosis, we just make that background brain, we bring it to the forefront, and we don't eliminate your conscious mind. We have them as a dual stream of consciousness, and we use your conscious mind to help navigate your subconscious mind, find what's stuck there, reorganize, do a little house cleaning, put away things that don't belong to us anymore, release that, reprogram. I don't do any reprogramming. That's not my responsibility. It's not my job, and that's frankly very scary. Mm -hmm. But I help you look at what's in there, and you get to decide what you want to change, what you want to keep. Interesting. So we're just a really, we talked about different modalities. We're all sort of hitting it in different ways, but yep. all leading to the same place. So, I mean, would you say if someone's w- willing to go for it, do the ayahuasca journey? Mm-hmm. Like, is that like if, or if you want to step into it, maybe do some hypnotherapy, then you'll lead to ayahuasca. I do or, believe that. Yeah. Is that, do you believe in that? Like there's one, there's a modality that's more strong or that will bring you more healing than others? I don't believe that it's about strong. It's more like you want to do it outside in or inside out. And I do believe that the answers are within you. Ayahuasca is only going to show you what's already within you. Right. Right. And that's the danger because ayahuasca is going to show it to you. But if you're not ready to integrate it, you can walk off a ceremony and not integrate it at all. Mm-hmm. So there is a danger with the outside in approach. that's going to show you what it wants or what you need to see, but you may not be able to take it in. With an inside out approach like breath work, which you're bringing the breath into your body yeah. or hypnosis, which shows you and, and, and takes you on a journey inside of yourself. That I feel is more effective. It's not about what's more powerful. It's just about what's more real. Mm. And it gets, which is not to say that psychedelics aren't real and they don't have a place. They do. But should that be your first stop? Absolutely not. Hypno, you were saying, is, is really from inside out, not outside in. Yeah. Even though it's someone like a facilitator like yourself. I'm helping guiding you do that it? for yourself. Uh-huh. Something like right. what, what a breath work is. What a breath work is. Right. It's, but it's all coming same, similar to breath, which is in you, so to this. Right. And, and initially, like, you may be disconnected from your breath which is why you, a facilitator will guide you. You may d- be disconnected from your internal reality, which is why a facilitator will guide you. But just to give you that, and this is a little bit on a tangent, when I first got into this, past life was something that nobody spoke about. And if you Yeah, want, you talk to dead people. I talk to dead people. Yeah. So you do talk, you, come on. I, I don't know about that yet, maybe. <laughs> we'll get him to admit it on our next podcast. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. You talk, you're right. Sorry, you cut you up, but you yeah. talk to dead people. Great. Mm-hmm. What, what do you mean? What's going on? Everyone does. If you've ever been to a cemetery and you've prayed there, you're talking to dead people. 
Uh, but are you really listening? Or are they you, talking back? Right. Do you believe that oh, they, they are have, talking back? They are talking back. Do you this, believe that they can? Well, on that level, I'm very limited in my knowledge around this, but I know like 11 months we go to, we go to the graveside because the soul is still hovering around, but mm-hmm. then afterwards it, it leaves. So is the soul still there? And I'm also, I mean, limiting souls to one place because they right. still hear us, right? Yeah. They're always there and time and space are not real. They're just constructs. So when we do 11 months, that's our journey. By the way, we're all sober on this podcast. We're, we're so sober. Yeah, yeah, we're just going to... Yeah. Coffee can. <laughs> yeah. Didn't have enough coffee to make me not sober this morning. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but, souls, no, time, time and space. Time and space, yeah. So the 11 months are for us. We pray for the soul for 11 months, and that's part of our journey of healing and mourning. But the souls are not constrained to time. Their, their sense of time is very, very different. But going back to this idea of like say past life right so when i first started this past life was not a thing nobody spoke about it it was very obscure and if you wanted to pursue to pursue past life you needed to find a really skilled practitioner who can take you there now i'm hearing people talk about this like like no problem it's it's part of everyday jargon they're they're dreaming about past lives they're getting to past life on breathwork sessions they're they're flipping into these visions mm. whether they can be substantiated or not is a separate thing but it's becoming so much more uh part of our consciousness. And I think that's the same thing with any of what we're talking about. Hypnosis, breath work. In the beginning, you're going to need a facilitator to guide you. But once you are in touch with those internal realms, they become much more real for you. They become present. Hmm. And that's that's the way you start living life. Wow. And past life, when you're talking, when what knowledge, what kind of wisdom, what's the benefit besides like a cool party trick? You know, like what's really... So when someone comes to me and says, I want the cool party trick, I'm like, please work with someone else. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not a cool party trick. Sure. You're not going to go to the cool lifetimes. You're going to go to the ones where you got stuck, where you have a lot of unresolved trauma, and people are like, I did not expect to see that. Wow. You know? and, we're, and we're carrying that from a previous lifetime. Yeah. You're saying a different iteration. It could have been a tree that got chopped down. I mean... Well, were you a tree? I don't know. But, <laughs> okay, you, know, but, but you were probably one of like the crusaders. Killed a lot of Jews. Me? Yeah. Oh, you say I necessarily wasn't even Jewish. You may not have a been soul Jewish. doesn't stay Jewish, right? That's the question that everybody wants to know. I'm just asking. Yeah, yeah it came up right it's now. Very triggering. Oh man, you I, didn't. You weren't always a man either. That's you're right. I, I've I've come. I've, I've, I hear that. It's interesting. Yeah, so there's a difference between uh, Knesset Yisrael and Klal Yisrael. Okay, so that's the source of your soul, and then the manifestation down here on this world. Yeah. So not in every lifetime will you be part of Klal Yisrael. You may be part of Knesset Yisrael. But not in every lifetime will you be living a Jewish life, primarily because there are different lessons that you came here to learn that you may not learn if you were Jewish. So, wow, I'm so, conf- wow, I'm so, what do you mean? But I believe, I thought that the Jew, right, the souls, the souls of, right, Har Sinai, all yep. the souls mm-hmm. were there that were Jewish, and yep. these are Jewish souls. So, yep. you, so, but you're saying that not every necessary, their souls always, always Going in to the, be born, born into a Jewish, Jewish. life. Think about people who who converted, right? They obviously have some sort of Jewish soul. Well, those souls were there at Harsina. There you go. So they have a Jewish soul, right? but they needed to journey to that. Or let's, let's take a, let's, let's say we go by the belief that Judaism or the Jews are a light unto the nations. There are definite places in the world that don't have Jews there, that it's dangerous for a Jew to go. But if a Jewish soul had a mission to bring light there, then it wouldn't serve that soul to be born Jewish if it needed to bring light into an area of the world where Jews were not welcome. So is it possible that every single person at some point in this world was Jewish at some point or not? And like, who knows? I, yeah, I don't pretend to understand. All yeah. Of those it's things. like, I can only, it just changes the whole like boundary. Like, Oh, this is me. This is who I am. 
you're you, but like, and that goes back to just source. We're all yeah. just part of the source. We're all just part of the source. Like we're all just like these different avatars, and you know. And that goes back to the original thing when you asked how to how to introduce me about mm-hmm. who is it that I am. Yeah. And I think that that's less important to question as who do you want to be. Yeah. Because who I am is constantly changing. Who I want to be is what's guiding me. Is what's pulling me forward. Right. Okay. I'm sorry. I just really just spaced out for a second. I'm going back to that. <laughs> I'm going back to that crusader that I may have been a crusader who killed Jews. Yeah. Are you, call, are you like calling me out right now? <laughs> well, that's an aggressive term. Yeah. Wow. Me. I'm, I don't know. I'm talking to somebody who's like who knows you, you who's sensitive. Have, you may have may been. Have. What does that mean for you? Like if if that like how does that sit with you? How does it land for you? It's pretty intense. I like the idea of like you know being a a fighter and and and, and masculine energy and riding a horse. You know, I love that. The idea of killing people, not so much. We've all done that, though. We've all been, for, and that's one of the things that you ask, who do I work with on my workshops, right? A lot of people who are on this journey of healing tend to divide the world into binaries of victims and perpetrators. And we all like to believe that we are victims. The truth is we're both. We've all been perpetrators. There's no one that's going to die innocent. No one, when you die, is going to have all nice things about to say about you and they're going to there are going to be people that yeah. you have hurt, hurt. Yeah, sure. or, or unintentionally have been hurt by you mm-hmm. so we've all at some point been in a perpetrator role whether it was in this lifetime or other lifetimes and we need to have been right because otherwise how do we embrace the full spectrum of human experience how can i really claim to be all enlightened if i've never seen the dark or have never been in the dark right wow yeah i mean i i hear that but just the crusader thing is just, you I'm know. I'm sorry. I don't <laughs> yeah. even know why I said that. I don't know, but you're usually on point. So, I don't know, you know, we'll have to talk about that off, off podcast. Part two, part two. Um, wow. Wow. So, so interesting. So, if when would be a time, again, someone who's stuck, wants to get some knowledge about themselves, so maybe the come purpose? to you. Yeah. What's the purpose? It's not stop the smoking, movie. you know? Well, yeah. No one's going to go to past life to stop smoking, right? But, right. So, what's, what's the purpose? Um, so, it's, it's definitely not the movie. And I do believe that you do come into this world with a clean slate. Uh-huh. Although, although... Is that true, though? Because we don't, mm, right, yeah. come back with a mission. Right, to, you come yeah. back with a mission and a purpose. Um, and and more than more now than ever before, I don't know if you've ever spent time around little kids. They sometimes will say things that they have no knowledge of. Yeah. And they'll talk about things that they cannot know, like, like events that happened before they were born. And yeah. it's just like, yeah. Before the age of seven, when their conscious minds aren't really fully on board... They will say some pretty amazing things about history. Um, if you listen to them, they'll, they'll be playing and then they'll, they'll be talking. Um, and you're just like, how do you know that? And they didn't see it in a movie. So they do have, I do believe children have some sort of recall that we're not always, we weren't always listening for. Yeah. But I do believe that you come into the world with a clean slate, kind of like, okay, kind of like you've been working on a math equation for a long time. And you're just scribbling all over the paper. And at a certain point, you're so stuck, not because you don't have the answer, just because the page is a mess. So you get a new page and you get the same equation you had before, but it's a new page. So you're going to make new calculations, same equation. And I think that that's what happens. I think God is really good to us and he doesn't expect us to have it figured out in one life. But you're going to be dealing with the same issue many, many, many lifetimes over. And when the equation just gets too messy or you haven't figured it out, you just get a new paper. So when people say, hey, I want to go to past life, I'm kind of like, well, whatever you think you're going to look at in a past life is really over here. So why do you need to go back? Well, sometimes, sometimes you have the fresh sheet. You are making headway, but sometimes you need to go back and see what you did on the other sheet, see what didn't work there so that you know not to mess up your new paper with that. And that's what I think people can see in a past life. I don't think they're going to find answers. I think they're going to find patterns 
And they're going to have that awareness of like, wow, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm struggling with this right now. This is what didn't work. This is what I need to try at this point in my time. So a little cheat code over there. little Yeah. Well, you, when you see past life, there's so many iterations of life. So which life do you go back to? Is it the one from a thousand years ago, 2000, beginning of time? Yeah. So I do believe that two things. Number one, it's the same pattern, right? It's the same math equation again and again and again. So it really doesn't matter. It's, it's the same pattern, but it get more like, you know, diluted throughout yeah. time. So it, I would say maybe going further so back. So then I also source. don't believe that there is such a thing as time. I think all timelines right. are happening simultaneously because the past does not exist. It's just a memory. The future doesn't exist. It's just a projection. The only thing that exists is now. So in any life that you're going to go visit, you have to assume they're all happening now and they're not happening in sequence. So I've visited or I've taken people to visit many lifetimes and they'll say, well, 3,000 years ago, I was an old soul, but 1,000 years ago, I was so immature because it doesn't matter. You're not actually living your lives in sequence. Your soul will come down into a lifetime that is right for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, I, when, when you would go for a session, the facilitator would take you or leave it open to go to the lifetime that is most relevant. To th- that's yeah. most relevant to this to lifetime. This par- to this particular or, issue that you're working oh, through. Issue. So I wouldn't say go back to ancient Egypt. I wouldn't say go back a thousand years. It's not, I, I can't know that. I can't right. know if that's where you need to go. But I tell your soul, why don't you take me there? And then people are like, but how do you know? And if it's real, is what I saw real? And I'm kind of like, I have enough evidence at this point to assume safely yeah. that there's, there's a lot there, right? But I also tell people, what's if you made it up? So what? Yeah. If you could make up any story, why would you make up this one? And we learn through stories. We've dealt with mythology throughout our... Sure. That's our, how we learn. Right? We right. learn through stories. Story. around the fire, you know? That's how we you know, exactly. shared information. And- so if all of your session was nothing but a story, that's okay. But why this story? What did this story teach you? And there's mm. a lot there. Yeah. Wow. 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 Have you done something like that for yourself? Sure. Of course. Yeah. I, that's another thing. I would never do something on someone else yeah. that I wouldn't be willing to go through myself. Are you able I, to I've share only... where you go, like where you went? Like not details yeah, perhaps, sure. but just like where, where was your like past life? I, past life. <laughs> you want me to simplify it and just tell you about one. Well, I think one of the beautiful things that I've had in many lifetimes is that I know people. Like I've seen my husband so many times over and that's like a relief. As your husband? As my husband. He was your husband in other lifetimes? Well, or was he like a brother? I know no, that could he be was cluster always, souls, you know? Yeah, no. He was always either my spouse or wanting to be my spouse. He was in competition with my son a lot. My son used to fight with my husband about wanting to marry me. So your son would be the soul that would... Yeah, my, my son has wanted to marry me in many lifetimes. And there, wow. was, there would be competition between my husband and That's my son a lot. so wacky. Yeah. Wow. And is that weird now as him no, being your son? No, it's actually finally so Beautiful. right. Like, this is how we're meant to love each other. You're meant to be my son, uh. not... Something and, else. Right, so that, not something else. And in that lifetime, that's where like that relationship that could be conflict, right? Yeah. It's like it's close, but it's not in that way. Right, so that's another Oof. thing that my husband keeps saying. Like even if we get into arguments, because I think people who listen to me think we're perfect people. No, we fight a lot and we fight very passionately. Mm. He's like, it's okay. You can walk out on me. I'll just see you in next life, you know? <laughs> it helps <laughs> us a lot to know that I'm never really going to get rid of him. Oh, man. Um, so hilarious. other lifetimes, I've seen quite a bunch. I think what fascinates me is the world really look different? And not, and not just like, oh, there were horse and buggy. The, the air was different. There was, I don't want to say magic because magic is a very, it's like a bastardized term. But when, when we spoke before about the rituals that we do with religion and how for many people they feel meaningless and empty yeah. until we connect with the energy, a thousand years ago, 2,000 years ago, that wasn't a question. 
It was there. It was, it was there. In the air. In the they air. weren't rituals and they weren't superstition. They knew exactly what they were doing and why. And when they were out of alignment, they knew it. Yeah. And I think that for a lot of people, especially for us growing up in the system and learning about this, let's call it vengeful God. And we have this like love-hate relationship with God or this weird, like, I'll be good to you so that you don't be bad to me. A thousand, two thousand years ago, they didn't have that. I think these things needed to be written down because they knew that we would forget that the energy, like the essence, was really, really real. Um, so going back to other lifetimes and being able to really experience that, it was just, wow. 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 I mean, that's guess what exile is. Gullus is like we're so much further away, like, you know, yeah. from that feeling, that source. Yeah. Makes you wonder how did people then do anything, quote, unquote, wrong when it was so obvious. They did it obvious. for the right re- reasons. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Which means that when they did something wrong, and why does, let's Cheat, say... Cheat, steal. Yeah. And, well, why does Torah say all of those things? Why does Torah tell us stories about people who did wrong things? It's because they all did them with the right intentions. They wanted really good things out of them. Like even, right, the golden calf, the Chita Egel. Yeah. They wanted to serve God. They thought they were doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, and I'm talking about Joe Schmo who, like, ripped somebody off from the bakery because he wanted to make more money. Or, yeah. you know, someone but who, like, cheated on someone's wife. You go know? back to your childhood learning Gemara, and they talk about the... Um, Arba Miso's Bastin, right? The four ways of killing people who transgressed. Yeah. And then we learned, but if a Bastin killed somebody even once in 70 years, yes. they were considered a violent Bastin. It almost never happened. So you talk about what about the Joe Schmo who transgressed? They didn't really. Mm-hmm. They, they had no cause to. Interesting, but it was still good intention, but yet it was still wrong yeah. to do. Yeah, and I think that they knew very quickly when they transgressed and why they transgressed. And uh, a lot of what we deal with today, the, the, the ease that we kind of live out of alignment, that's what Gullus is. We don't even realize that there is an alignment yeah. that we can be connected to. So here's where's a tip uh, to like sort of slowly just land this plane. You're in an affair, Do love, we have love to affair. Land? Uh, no, maybe yeah. not. Let's keep flying. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Let's go. Um, the I'll never forget my first ayahuasca ceremony. Yeah. It was years ago and I was sitting in a room. They were all people that I really knew. Yeah. But there was somebody who across the room was like, why can't I remember your name? He's like, I, I can't remember your name. He's like, what's your name again? Flowey? And the whole room just burst out laughing. And I was like, yep, that works. Yeah. Flowey, that's, that's where I'm at. I don't want to fly. I want to flow. Yeah, you know? Wow. I, I was about to go and like slowly go down, but I'll, I'll, I won't forget my question. I'm just curious. Ayahuasca years ago, before he was even cool, it seems like, and trending. What was that date like with your husband? Like, I'm just trying to think of like you guys, right? He's a rabbi. He's super smart. I've yet to meet him, but I'm excited to meet him. Um, and you, how do you, how do you find each other? And, and what are those dates like? Like, how are you, t- you're so both, were you both so open minded back then? Or did you find this journey together and, and allow yourself to blossom in that healthy way where you both discovered? So when I was 16 and I was in the can- uh, cancer ward and I needed a blood transfusion, many blood transfusions. So my parents put out a notice in their shul asking if anyone wanted to come and volunteer and donate blood for me. Mm. And this guy walked into the hospital, he met me, and he said, when you grow up, I'm going to marry you. And I said, I'm not sure I will grow up, right? I have cancer. What are we waiting for? Wow. And that was him. Don't get so excited. He never donated blood for me. He faints when he sees needles. But now we have four beautiful children together. And uh, yeah. That's insane. That's That's incredible. Yeah. He met you there in your sickness. Bold? Bold. I was bold. 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 He walked in and he just- 87 pounds. Oh my God. And he came yeah. in and said, Hey, 
Well, it wasn't as clear cut. I'm giving you the very condensed yeah. version, but he yeah. met me there and I remember us talking. And again, remember I was wrestling with this idea of if I live right. and what was that what would that look like for me? And I was passionate then. Your parents were in the room with that? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And uh, there was no concept. I was 16. I was not thinking about marriage sure. or any of that. But we hit it off immediately talking about real concepts about like, because I wasn't wasting time. Yeah. And I remember our first conversation, we were actually talking about the school system. And I said something like, I don't know that I can send my children to schools because I'm in school right now and I don't trust the process. I'm just kind of waiting for it to be over so I can, my real learning can begin. And that was my conversation with him at 16. Wow. And wow. he left that conversation telling whoever he was talking to, he says, I've been dating for a long time. I've never had this kind of conversation on a date. Wow. And he's like, I would like to. And he, he never said anything because it would have been totally inappropriate. And for those people wondering, he is 10 years older than me. It wasn't like he was 18 and I was 16. Right. And uh, so he, he started was... hanging out more in my family, helping us out. I, I'm the oldest of a lot of kids. So me having cancer and needing to go in in the middle of the night sometimes, it was it took a toll on my siblings. So he was around a lot, helping out. Wow. And uh, when I got better, when I was remissioned, I remember thinking, I don't really want to go back to senior year in school. I'm just not there. I'm not where other girls are at. I want to do more with my life and I don't have time to waste. And I was, I was debating what I wanted to be doing. And I remember it was Purim time. We were sitting around the, the, the Purim Suda and we were talking about that because I was just declared in remission. And it was a little bit like Purim, but also my Suda Soda. We were thanking God for, for being here. And people were asking me, so what's next? And I started talking about it like I don't know. And my father, because this is what fathers of teenage girls love to do, he just mm -hmm. threw out this comment to embarrass me. Well, obviously you're better now. Uh, go get married. Like, isn't that what a nice Jewish yeah. girl does? Right. And of course we all knew it was a joke, but my husband heard that and he's like, wait, is he serious? And then he reached out to a third party to ask, like, is this, is this for real? Like, is that are they that crazy? And when they reached out to ask my parents, who were they like, they're like, are we that crazy? And then they asked me and I was like, I don't have time to waste. Wow. This is my life. I just remissioned it. If I see something that I know is true and what I want, I'm ready to go for that. So wait, so you just come, you're, you're, you're in remission. You just came through cancer. You're 17. I was not yet 17. Not even yet 17. No. You had no, I understand the good things in front of you. You connect with this guy, but there was no interest to go explore who you are as an individual. Why did, why would I think I could, I met a man who basically showed me that I would never be barred from exploring who I would be as an individual. <sighs> wow. And we, we got to know each other when I was 16. And then when I was 17 on my, right before my birthday, the, that's when the concept of potentially marriage came up. And I said, you know, I'm not opposed. So why don't we do this? Why don't we wait for a while? We'll start dating, let's call it September time. I'll be 17 and a half. And if things work out, then I'm ready to get engaged on my 18th birthday, which would be in June. Wow. And I said, I'll do that. We'll date for 10 months and we'll, we'll figure that out. Right. And everyone said, okay, that sounds reasonable. Which, by the way, is also like 10 months in dating Jewish yeah, world. It's yeah, like it's not. Yeah, so it's from day one. That yeah. means like you're, right. And they were okay with it. And right. then like two days later, my parents came to me and they said, well, I don't think you realize how serious he is. He refuses to date anyone until he has the opportunity to date you. And that would mean he's okay not dating. He hasn't dated anyone since he met you. He's okay waiting another six months if that's what it takes. He's not, he's not going to date anyone. Wow. And I said, that's, you know, that's okay. And they said, well, why don't you just go out once? Because if there's nothing there, free him up. And I was like, eh, well, you know. Yeah. So I went out once and I came home and I said, I, I'm not going to wait. I am not going to wait. When you see, what, when you see wow. the truth, like why wait on that? 
So we did. We got engaged on my 17th birthday, and we got married six months later, and that was 18 years ago. Wow! Wow! Bravo! Yeah. Yeah. That's also. I don't believe in waiting. I'm yeah. kind of like I, I. I dealt with a lot of impulsivity growing up. I'm not impulsive right now. I'm very far from that. But when there's something inside of you that says yes, this is it. This is the rest of your life. Don't ignore that. Mm. And it's okay. Like people that say, I have to get it right. No, you don't have to get it right. You'll have a lot of adventures. Even I don't get things right. I'm going to get a lot of things wrong and it's okay. Yeah. I'm okay getting things wrong. But when something feels right and you have the right support system and you know that you can trust your support system and the people around you, just do it. Just what are you waiting for? for? But that's the thing. Like you're, you're so clear with feel, like feeling that, right? Mm-hmm. We're blocked. We're talking about breath, going back to that, being blocked. Not feel. How does one open themselves up? How, what kind of inner work do they do to, to be able to be in touch with that, with that compass within themselves? You need to be able to lose your mind. Your mind is not the answer. Your mind is really great and it's rational. And I don't know where we would be as you, as you, you know, humanity without our minds. But the truth is much deeper than that. The truth is your, your body doesn't lie. You know, when someone says, I'm fine, you can say that and you can think that, but the body doesn't lie. Your breath doesn't lie. Your body posture doesn't lie. So I think also having been not well as a young girl put me in touch with my body in a way that most people are never in touch with their bodies. I wanted to know everything. When I was 16, I sat with my doctor and I signed the consent forms, not my parents, even though I was a minor. I co-signed every consent form. I knew every medication that they were putting into my body. I said, this is my body. It's my choice. It's my decision. And I need to be in relationship with that. Because if I'm going to go to a doctor in 30 years from now, and he's going to say, what medications did they give you for chemo? And I wouldn't know. So I just made a decision that this was my journey, not anybody else's. And I was going to be fully present for that. So just, and again, it's not a one, it's not one story. Mm -hmm. It's many, many stories where I had to make a decision to be present. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's cumulative, many decisions to be present. And that's what made me today. I don't, I don't doubt what my body says. And if I ever go against what my body says, there's a very high price to pay wow. always. And that's you sitting, maybe the last time I was sitting with it, just feeling it. Instead of thinking it through, you feeling it through, you just sit right, mm-hmm. just feel right. And then trusting that that's it. Trusting yourself. Yeah. Is that God talking through you? Is that, is that? Why not? Yeah. Why not? God is everywhere. Yeah. You know what they say, if you're not going to look within, you're going to go without. Yeah. Yeah. So I do right. believe that God is within. And that's not to say that I hold the answers. It's not to say that I have it all figured out. But I feel there is a godly presence within each of us. Nobody can give me the answers to my own experience. I have to become the master of my own life. I don't need validation from anyone else. It's nice, but it's not necessary. I know how I feel. I feel what I feel. And I'm also okay being wrong. I think that's what people are afraid of. They're afraid of being wrong. I'm so happy to be wrong all of the time. I never am. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm happy to be wrong. <laughs> well, let's end off on that. Um, any last ideas, thoughts, tips that you want to share with the listener before we close this up? Yes. Ask a lot of questions and don't be afraid of the answers. And the goal of asking a question isn't an answer. Goal is to lead you to better questions. I hope I never find answers. I hope that my journey just brings up better questions. Mm. So ask lots of them and don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid of what comes. Just keep asking more questions. Yeah, you said something about, I read in an interview about saying like, your life is not about accomplishing a dream, but about being a dreamer. Did I say that? I say lots of things. You say lots of things. I yeah, make but- this stuff up as I go. <laughs> 
but I hear that you right just to be in that question to ask, yeah. ask questions get better questions yeah and I'm yeah. not the first one who said it I, I said this once and my husband's like well the Ramachal says that oh wow and I'm like cool love that yeah because you perhaps a previous lifetime you were perhaps you so. were I yeah. probably was like I knew him yeah. you know he's a homie <laughs> yeah but that's that's what I try to do with my podcast just to get to be able to ask better questions yeah. and um no one's there's no one answer for everyone it's yeah. your journey it's your question yeah and everyone needs a question burning inside of them that's gonna fuel you I hope the day does not come that I wake up without a question because it is a question that gets me out of bed every day mm. yeah all right challenge you on that what was that question today <laughs> it was like what adventures am i gonna have? yeah yeah and you see like we here started, we are yeah we started this half an hour late which means yeah. that my adventure hasn't even begun to unfold there's a reason we started half an hour late and i can't wait to see what that is yeah right right well i'll tell you one thing i'm super grateful uh for you sharing your journey with me a bit of it at least today with us and uh and for who you are uh, in this world it's you're such a light and um it's really great to to have to have done this with you so thank you so much pleasure thank you Dear friends, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast episode. And thank you, Folly, for coming out and recording this one with me. I am still digesting all that we talked about. And I can't wait for a part two. Uh, but until then, uh, everybody, keep shining your light. And if you haven't yet, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to this podcast. It goes a long way. Giving you a rating, a comment. Um, it really motivates me. And um, I know that you're picking up what I'm putting out there. And uh, if you find it to be useful, please share it with your friends and family. It goes a long way. Uh, so until next time. Stay tuned. Keep shining your light. Stay positive. Be happy. I'm Mayor Kay, and have a great day.